Once we bring our attention to chapter 21 of the book of Genesis, we have uh, a time of great blessing. We have finally the arrival of the promised heir. The chapter begins with God visiting Sarah, as he had said, and doing as he had promised, and she conceived, and she bore Abraham a son in his old age, and they named him Isaac, which means laughter. I don't think we spend enough time and enough energy uh, and focus celebrating what this means, celebrating the fulfillment of this promise. It is absolutely true that uh, Sarah would have rejoiced to have uh, a son, that Abraham would rejoice to have a son, that there's a, a personal familial uh, celebration going on and cause for great joy. But this is a part of uh, the, the history of redemption. This is the birth of the child through whom the promise is coming. And in fact, chapter 21 spends a fair amount of uh, uh, ink uh, making just that case, uh, that this is, in a sense, the... Uh, Another step forward in the promise from Genesis 3 that God would uh, send the seed of the woman to crush the head of the serpent is in this line uh, through which this promise is going to come. And so uh, when God told Abraham, hey, it's not going to be through Ishmael, uh, when, and, and rejected the plan and the strategy that Abraham and Sarah came up with, then we had this sort of uh, nail-biting time of, well, how's he going to pull this off? Because Abraham's 100 years old. Sarah's maybe 90 years old. There's a uh, just a great deal of drama there. And we, again, come to the end of the, or to, to chapter 21, and there's joy, there's celebration, and there's laughter. The laughter that Sarah gave earlier was a laughter of skepticism when she was listening in as the angel was speaking to Abraham. But now uh, this is a laughter of joy and celebration. And Abraham, we're told, does as he's called to do. He circumcises his son on the eighth day. Uh, and I love uh, how Sarah rejoices over his name it says and sarah said god has made laughter for me everyone who hears will laugh over me and she said who would have said to abraham that sarah would nurse children yet i have borne him a son in his old age well this time of celebration doesn't last as long as we might like and in fact it's in the very context of the next celebration uh, that things get a bit dark again. The chapter tells us that on the occasion of Isaac's weaning, Abraham prepared uh, a great feast, a great feast of celebration. This was a, a, a mark, a landmark of maturity. And so he's preparing this feast but Sarah, she sees Ishmael, Hagar's son, 
laughing. Interesting, isn't it? That it's laughter again, but this is again the laughter of cynicism rather than the laughter of joy. And Sarah responds with anger. She says, cast out this slave woman with her son, for the son of this slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. Now, (laughs) I understand that the Bible doesn't give us everything that went on, but it's very difficult for me to hear that account and not stop and say, how in the world does Sarah not have a higher level of self-awareness? How does she not look at uh, Hagar and Ishmael and every time she sees them, remember that this was her idea? Now, Abraham, of course, was responsible. He should have said when Sarah came with that strategy, no, Sarah, we're not going to do that. We're going to trust God. This is not the right thing to do. But he didn't, and it's his responsibility. Nevertheless, it was her idea. And she just seemed so put out at, at their very presence when she wouldn't be in this boat if she hadn't had this idea. Abraham... He's a little torn by this. He's not sure what to do. He's maybe mindful of, well, what's genuinely the mistreatment of Hagar and Ishmael. This is not Ishmael's fault. I mean, maybe Ishmael, you know, shouldn't be laughing and snickering at this moment. Uh, But there are other kinds of punishment and correction than sending them out into the wilderness on their own. Well, it's interesting that... Well, I look at this, I'm sympathetic to Abraham, I'm sympathetic to how he's feeling torn, I'm less sympathetic to Sarah, but as Abraham is wrestling over what to do, God speaks to him and says, don't be displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you, for through Isaac shall your offspring be named. Let me stop right there for a minute. Isn't it interesting? that Isaac, who's going to be the father of Jacob and Esau, is going to be told in advance that it will be Jacob through whom the promise will come. And yet he wants to bring things to pass through his son Esau. And he ends up getting tricked. Now, when we get to that story, uh, we're going to take the position that, that what uh Jacob did in accordance with his mother's wishes was wrong it was dishonest it was deceitful uh, but it's funny that we see Isaac whose father was unsure about who should be the one uh, now Isaac is unsure about who should be the one and not listening and Uh, Isaac getting to the place where he is because Abraham is told to listen to his wife. If only Isaac had been told to listen to his wife, then maybe we wouldn't have needed uh, Jacob's uh, dishonesty and misbehavior. Well, God goes on to make this promise. Not only is it true what Sarah is saying, that the, uh, the, the promise will flow through the line of Isaac and not through Ishmael, but God promises blessing on Ishmael that Ishmael is going to be a father of nations. And remember, this is part of the promise to Abraham. 
It wasn't just you'll have one son, and through this one son, these things will happen, but that from him, nations would come. And so it's fitting that from Ishmael, a nation would be given. And then we're given the picture, the story uh, of what happens with uh, Hagar and Ishmael after they are cast off. It should be heartbreaking for us. This is one of those times when I want us to remember to sort of slow down to remind ourselves that this is actual history, that Hagar was a real woman with a real child, a real baby, or not a baby, but a real child at this point, that she loves. And she's going out into a real wilderness she runs out of water. She's got nowhere to go. She's got no one to protect her. She's got no one to provide for her. And she is so certain of the coming destruction that she separates herself from her son about the length of a bow shot away so that she won't have to watch while he dies slowly of thirst in that wilderness. This is real. Yes, it's absolutely true that there are uh, symbolic things going on here. These are going to show up uh, in a number of places in the New Testament, including the, uh, the book of Romans. We're gonna, Paul's going to talk about uh, the, the slave child and the free child and what the, all of that means. But that doesn't undo the historic reality. We should feel the pathos. We should feel the heartache for Hagar. We should hear the cries of Ishmael because God heard them. And God responded. Interesting, isn't it, that God's promise to Ishmael and God's provision for Ishmael and Hagar as uh, after Hagar and uh, the angel of the Lord have this conversation, she is able to discern and see that there is a well there and that there's plenty of water and she's able to get their needs met. Isn't it interesting that God shows his grace, not just to Ishmael, not just to Hagar, but to the descendants of Ishmael, to this nation. God is not unconcerned with those who are not in covenant with him. When we speak about God sends the rain on the just and the unjust, I think there's a a, a part of us that thinks when we're saying that, that all we're saying is that, well, you know, God's a little sloppy, Uh, God's not quite as precise as he could be. And so, yes, sometimes uh, the blessings of God can spill over a little bit on others. No, that's not what that's telling us at all. It's telling us that God desires to bless the unjust. He desires to send them rain. He desires to bless Ishmael and his descendants. 
It's true that outside the those who embrace the work of Christ, that these will come under God's ultimate judgment. But you know, there are those who would say, it's a small group, but nevertheless a real group, there are those who would say that because of that, because uh, Ishmael is outside God's covenant, because Ishmael is not uh, given the blessing of rebirth and uh, a faith in the coming Messiah, uh, that Ishmael is even now suffering the wrath of God in hell. And it's probably true. But they'll say because of that, that every bit of kindness that God showed to Ishmael was really just designed to heap up God's wrath that God had ordained that Ishmael would drink this water, that Ishmael would have this blessing of being the father of nations, that Ishmael would enjoy this and that from the hand of God and not give him thanks so that God could punish him more intensely. I want to unpack this real slowly because it's important. I do want us to understand there's something true in what is being said here, and that is this, that God is glorified in pouring out his judgment on sinners. We need to not be ashamed of that which God is proud of, including God's uh, judgment on those who are outside the kingdom. He delights in it. That said, that perspective that would deny, based on the truth that he delights in the exercise of his justice, and by the way, based on the truth that Ishmael's lack of gratitude does intensify his suffering in hell, it doesn't undo the fact that the kindness and grace of God in blessing Ishmael in an earthly way is true and genuine. In fact, to argue that this is not grace, that all this is, is a kind of setup for deeper judgment, is actually self-destructive. Because if God isn't actually being kind to Ishmael, then Ishmael doesn't have a moral obligation to be grateful to him. But God is. God will judge. God ordains all these things. God is in control of all these things. God has planned all these things. But let's not undo the reality of his grace. We see it here so powerfully. Not just water to drink, not just survival, not just a day by day, but a blessing such that he becomes the father of nations. Verse 20 says, and God was with the boy. And he grew up and he lived in the wilderness and became an expert with the bow. He lived in the wilderness of Paran and his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. At this point, our attention turns uh, to a treaty that Abraham makes with Abimelech. Uh, there had been some concern, some uh, struggles in that relationship. 
grounded in, uh, you know, who dug this well, who does this water belong to, etc. cetera. Uh, and out of this, uh, Abimelech actually uh, recognizes that God is with Abraham. And he says, swear to me by God that you will not deal falsely with me or with my descendants or with my posterity as I've dealt kindly with you. So you will deal with me in the land where you've sojourned. And Abraham said, I will swear. And then he brings forth multitudes of animals uh, to sort of cut this covenant, to uh, formalize this agreement. And Abimelech asked, what is the meaning of these seven ewe lambs that you've set apart? And he said, these seven ewe lambs you will take from my hand, that this may be a witness for me that I dug this well. Therefore, that place is called Beersheba, because there both of them swore an oath. So they made a covenant at Beersheba. Then Abimelech and Philcol, the commander of his army, rose up and returned to the land of the Philistines. Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba and called there on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. And Abraham sojourned many days in the land of the Philistines. Remember, friends, two things. One, this calling upon the name of the Lord. This is not simply the giving of prayer. This is the making of sacrifice. This is uh, a... a uh, uh, idiomatic expression describing the giving of worship. God is worshiping God there. And Abraham sojourned many days in the land of the Philistines. This is, again, remembering our context. This is coming from the lips of Moses, given to the children of Israel as they're on their way to the promised land. All of this description of this land and these treaties, all of this is designed to say, this land is ours. Every place that Abraham wandered is the land that we're going to. And by the way, uh, these Philistines are those that we are called to destroy when we get there. What we will see as we get into the book of Joshua is they didn't finish the job. And when we get to the book of Judges, we see what happens because they didn't finish the job. The people that they left to tote their water and to cut their firewood uh, rise up and oppress them and go through this cycle of oppression and crying out and deliverance and oppression again. But back in Genesis 21, we have this moment of peace, this agreement between Abimelech, Philcol, and Abraham. We have this child who has been born. We have Ishmael and Hagar now out of the picture. And as we move into chapter 22, uh, we will begin to focus on uh, the life that Isaac has with his parents. So that is what we find in Genesis 21. We are to remember that God is faithful to his promises. He was faithful to Abraham. He was faithful to Hagar and to Ishmael. He is faithful all the time. We'll see the same faithfulness from him when next time we look together at Genesis 22.